for us folks who are not going to be sitting in a cave all the time, and we still have some, some wish to practice the Dharma, we may have aspirations for enlightenment. At least we have a kind of good heart and wish to be positive, positive in this world. And so there's some practices that we can do that you can do anywhere, that you can do on the bus or in the shops or at home or dealing with your pet. You don't have to be all the time meditating. Of course, these are two things that need to go together, but it's wonderful to have something we can apply in all situations and uh, whatever we're doing and which makes a really big difference in our life. If we're looking at the perspective of whether we're going to become a Buddha, it may not be next week, but nonetheless, even in the short term, when we apply this teaching, when we discover our capacity for good heart, for kindness, for find, finding our basic tenderness, this makes a huge difference to the way we live, and it makes a huge difference, actually, for those around us. So I think particularly in this uh, very materialistic, very uh, stressed, very angry, very jealous, very greedy world, to have that weapon is absolutely marvelous. So that's why I wanted to talk to you about all this, to just share this practice and do something together because personally, I really, really uh, value this kind of thing. It uses very simple methods that anyone can understand, but which can go really a long way. And I want to quote to you one of our teachers, who was called Nyusha Kenpo Rinpoche, who was a great Dzogchen teacher. And he said, actually, this mind training, the thing of offering your happiness and taking other suffering, for instance, this is really good for developing your ultimate view because the thing that is stopping you from realizing is the clinging to yourself, this solid clinging to yourself. And so anything that gets rid of it will give you a bigger vision. And this is a, a, a big secret that I'm sharing with you. This is not just to become a nice person. It makes a difference to your whole vision of the world and your vision of yourself and your vision of everything around you. So this is, um, that's a very important aspect to it. Some people think that this is sort of baby stuff, that this is just uh, for uh, people who want to be a little bit sweet, nice, cozy, teddy bear sort of stuff. But in fact, this is very, very radical stuff, uh, which makes a huge difference uh, to our lives. Okay, so that's the end of the uh, publicity spiel. And um, so what we're going to do first is just to let our mind uh, rest and be open, be present, without trying to do anything. When you do this, you can feel it physically. You just let your energy not accumulate in your chest or in your head, just let everything rest in the lower part of your body and let your muscles relax. We can sit straight, but without forcing. 
Everybody's trying so hard to be mindful and be concentrated. Here, we're just trying to let go. Let go. So to, if you like, set the scene or the background for our little afternoon, I'm going to read you a quote from, I think, the seventh Dalai Lama, uh, which I read in French and I don't have the Tibetan, so I'm, it's a very approximate translation, but I think it's nice. It says, when looking at an empty, clear sky, nothing is true in itself. Only multiple conditions create rainbow shapes. Look, it's astonishing how everything seems to appear without purpose. So I think it's important to remember that each of us has our own subjective experience. Each of us sees things in a different way. Each of us has a different opinion about what's good or bad, what music we like, what food we like. We have different views about our politics. We have a kind of common experience, don't we? That, for instance, uh, uh, you know, if I look at my hand, uh, everyone will think it's a hand. No. Of course, that's just from our human point of view. From our culture, we have certain ways of seeing things. And uh, the thing is that whatever our way of seeing things, it somehow catches, you know. We see things as being very solid. And even if we don't want to, we're swept away by what we want, what is making this sense of ourself feel reassured, comforted, or experience something pleasant. And we reject or fear what is going to be unpleasant, what seems to be threatening. And this is the basic duality that everybody's in. But if you think about it, you can see that really disastrous things, really like, uh, 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 exploitation, wars, everything is coming from this sense of duality. It's said somewhere or other in, in Buddhist stuff uh, that uh, a war starts with one thought in the mind of one person. You know, one person communicates something to everyone else. Of course, we see nowadays people who are very, very good communicators and who managed to persuade people of all kinds of strange things and managed to agitate those negative emotions. Of course, negative emotions is the jargon that I use. Uh, uh, the word in Tibetan, at least, is more like afflictions or something like that. It's the things that uh, are going to spoil everything for us. And for instance, attachment aversion, which could become hatred, anger, pride, jealousy, 
and plain old ignorance. We see so much of this kind of ignorance nowadays, ignorance which just isn't really looking at things in a lucid way at all, but just staying completely uh, stuck in a certain view of things. And uh, this is something that uh, people who know how to do it are very, very, very good at exploiting. Yeah. So obviously we don't want to be exploited uh, uh, by that sort of thing. But also I think we don't want to be exploited by ourselves. You know, it's, uh, uh, of course, there's the aspect of, you know, getting upset when something terrible happens or someone does something terrible to you or getting angry at all the things that are wrong with the world and things like that. But I don't know. Personally, I find that I'm amazingly propelled by my small desires and small irritations. I don't know about you, but when I'm a little hungry, a little tired, I'm trying to do something in the kitchen and I can't find a certain implement, I get really weird. This is so unimportant. This is completely silly, but this shows just how easy it is for us to be put off balance, you know. And the things that you really like, you can be drawn. Of course, this is what happens to people, uh, uh, of course, not like you folks, but people like me with these things on the internet. You get interested in something, then leads to another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing, and you're just following like that. Somebody looking from outside would think that you were really concentrated. You seem completely focused, but actually it's just amazing serial distraction. So we, we can see that we are really, really uh, susceptible to this kind of stuff. And unfortunately, bad news is that I don't think this is going to go away tomorrow. Um, I, of course, I'm sort of specialist beginner meditator, you know. Our, one of our teachers uh, was mentioning uh, recently that uh, there are people who have been meditating for 20 or 30 years and they seem to just be beginners. They haven't really done it, you know. So I'm actually in that category, except that uh, I think I've been meditating for a lot longer than that, more like 50 years, yeah. So um, there you go. So you, so this is, you've been warned, this is like those labels that they put on the bottle saying, you know, this could harm your health. Uh, this is not in any way trying to substitute any way from the authentic teachings of real teachers. It's more uh, just uh, to, uh, for us to share together and enjoy being together and uh, to look at some of these teachings. So, I was looking at a small text on this subject by someone called Buddha Gupta. It says, for instance, we cannot calculate the total number of sentient beings saying this is how many they are, there are in the three realms. But it says that focusing on these immeasurable sentient beings 
brings about immeasurable accumulations, that's accumulations of merit and wisdom, immeasurable qualities, and immeasurable primordial wisdom. So when we practice the bodhicitta, the mindset of enlightenment, initially the mind that's turning itself to enlightenment, and as we go on, putting that into practice, and then there's an absolute aspect to it, which could be really the experience of the wisdom and compassion of enlightened beings. Um, so that's what we want to practice. This is, uh, and this will bring about all these immeasurable qualities. And these four immeasurables or four boundless, boundless thoughts, boundless intentions, whatever you want to call them, it, it, it doesn't say, it just says four boundless, whatever you like, but uh, they're love or loving kindness, compassion, joy, joy at others' happiness, and what we can call equality, equality, equanimity, uh, impartiality, universality. It depends. We're going to look into that as we go along. So, first of these is love, loving kindness. So, maitri is the word in Sanskrit for this. And that comes from mitra, which means a friend. And maitri is actually friendliness. Now, when I think of friendliness, I, I like that expression, actually, because I noticed I've had the privilege of, of being in close contact with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, on, on quite a number of occasions. And I noticed that he has this quality of being friendly with everybody, like everybody's his friend, you know, uh, in this extremely simple way. You know, the last time, well, I have a number of stories, but the last time I, um, I was accompanying His Holiness, I was sort of, what could you say, I was doing a sort of security thing around him at his um, apartments when he was teaching in Strasbourg relatively recently. And the first day when he arrived, I was on duty somewhere else, so I didn't even see him. And on the second day, I was standing outside his room and I knew he was going to come out and he was going to teach. And I thought, oh, maybe he'll look at me as he comes past. You know, I was sort of standing in the corridor. And then he came out on his way to the teaching and he stopped next to me and he held my hand and he looked at me in this way. I don't know really how to describe it. It's like you just look with complete trust as an old friend that you haven't seen for a long time. And I, I've, I've, see, I've seen him with people just in the crowd having this kind of quality about it. And this is something, this is something very, very, very deep and very special actually. But this very deep special quality is something which is, if you like, a facet of the Buddha nature that we all have. This is not something completely exotic, actually. And it was the down-to-earthness of it. The first time I met the Dalai Lama, I was amazed by that quality. This was in, I think, 
1969, something like that, or maybe 70, I don't know. And uh, I was so direct and so kind of fresh, you know. He, he said, I, I'm just a beginner on the Buddhist path, but if I have some information that can help you to deal with some problems, then I, I don't know if all these things that I do to, for Tibet are really so useful, but if I can just help you with some information, then when I go to bed at night, I can really feel happy. And I was kind of amazing. But for instance, I don't know how many people here have children or actually have pets because, you know, sometimes people say, oh, well, if you can't feel love and compassion for your mother, maybe you can feel it for your pet. But this is not as stupid as it sounds. With our sick dog, uh, uh, I can see that all our emotions all our kindness and compassion, as well as all our attachment, comes bubbling up to the surface. It's really, it's really great. I just gave her a shot before I joined you here. I haven't really done this before, but it worked out quite well. And, uh, you know, you feel really engaged. And I like that word engaged because some people feel that uh, because we're meditating, because we're Buddhists, uh, we have to be extremely detached where well, we do. But what do we mean by that? We don't mean disengaged, especially in the Mahayana. We don't mean uh, 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 push everything away, leave me in peace. Engaged, I like this. So when we're confronted, sometimes with a dramatic exp uh, uh, situation, and in particular, particularly with our baby, with our child, when you have a baby or a small child, something like that, then you feel such love, you know. Uh, uh, of course, us boys haven't been mothers, but some of us can feel quite motherly love anyway, you know. And this is something inherent. This is something inherent in human beings, is this capacity. And His Holiness the Dalai Lama talks about this uh, quite often, actually, that this is just something natural. It's just innate, if you like. So when we're trying to develop these qualities of kindness and compassion and so forth, we're not uh, trying to impose something artificial. We're just trying to wake up something that we already have and to let it grow, to expand. I, I, I think it's not so artificial. It's just like if you have a plant, if you give it the right conditions, it will grow on its own. You don't have to force it. And this is something that we can develop very, 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 very simply on our own. So before we do that, let's just um, focus a little bit. Let our mind decompress a little bit more. Uh, let our cells feel our presence and be friendly to our body and be friendly to our own mind. So this concept of friendliness really has to start with itself, with ourselves. Um, I think 
you know, some traditional Tibetan teachers say, oh, all these modern teachers and all these Westerners, they're always talking about having compassion for yourself and being kind to yourself. I never heard about anything like this. And it's true that you they're always talking about forgetting about yourself and just feeling love for others, which is, of course, uh, ideally great. But actually, Mathieu is very, very pleased, my friend Mathieu Ricard is very pleased uh, to find a text by someone called Gyawa Gotsangpa, this uh, uh, extraordinary teacher um, who was, I think, a student of, uh, of uh, Milarepa's disciple, Rechonpa, I think. And, um, and he said, well, you, how are you going to have love for others if you don't know what it is, you have to experience. We all want happiness. We all have to feel this sense of caring. So at least we can start with ourselves. At least we can start to feel this and also feel the tenderness for our own suffering, you know? People, people tend to look at the things they've had that were difficult in their lives, like, uh, either something where they've been the victim of somebody or something, or some great failing on their part that they should have been something else. Practice should have been someone else, should have done something dif differently. I think we all have regrets about things we've done, decisions we've made, which we live with. This is in a way our starting point, isn't it? This, uh, this, um, uh, not having been perfect at the same time could be worse, couldn't it? You, if, you, if we each look at ourselves, well, I'm sure we can think of someone even worse than us. Everybody can, you know. And we can think of folks that are lots better too. So it's just here we are, you know. It's not a big deal. And I, th I personally think it's important to, that you in a sense, accept your, uh, 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 your faults, your sadness, your silliness, your bad temper, and all these things. Not because you say, this is me and I'm going to stay like this, but because, well, here we are, you know. And, um, you know, our anxiety is that we should be this ideal person and that we're not going to manage to fulfill what everybody's expecting of us and what we've been led to expect of ourselves. This is all extremely dualistic stuff, you know. This is, uh, this is not really so helpful. Of course it's good to want to be a good person. Of course it's good to want to help others. Of course it's good to feel love. Of course it's good to be kind. Uh, of course it's good to be enlightened. We're all for it, yeah. And of course it's bad to be nasty and hurt people and uh, uh, do terrible things and be stupid and things like that. Okay, well, so we have a direction we want to travel in. But you know, just like, I mean, this is a silly example, but if you're in the train, of course I live in France, so I always think of the train going to Paris, you know. So you get in at your station, and then you know you want to go to Paris, you're sitting in the train, but it's not because you're sitting in the train that you're in Paris. 
but we want to at least make sure we've got on the right train and we're not heading in the other direction, you know. So it's important, you know, as they say in the teachings, antidotes must conquer, that, that uh, the practices we do and the teachings and everything should be going at least in the direction of freeing us, not making us more bound, yeah. But at the same time, uh, if you uh, get in the train in Marseille and you get, you're absolutely furious because you're not halfway to Paris already, this is completely silly, isn't it? You know, this is, it's just that we, we you know, we, we have um, uh, texts in the tradition, uh, Tibetan tradition, for instance, like uh, the treasury of precious qualities, which perhaps you know, uh, which explains the path for different kinds of rituals with different kinds of qualities and all heading in the same direction and to show that they're all actually to do the same thing, all to free our minds, all to awaken the awaken us to experience the natural state of mind and have all the qualities of enlightenment, but just at different stages and from different people, the methods may be different. And the difficulties will be different for each of us. And for each of us, things we can manage quite well might be different. For instance, I'm not a very angry person. So for me to deal with my anger, I get a little irritated when I can't find a particular kitchen tool. But I'm not someone who flies off the handle and is aggressive to people. So it's actually quite difficult for me to understand that but I'm a complete champion of, of distraction and I have uh, the most outrageously strong uh, attachments and things like that. I have, I have some other things. So other people's problems are so easy to deal with and mine are so impossible, but I think that's, that's so for all of us, isn't it? We all have a different configuration, but the, the, it's basically the same thing, isn't it? So I think we have to, um, I think the first kindness and compassion we need to do is to just be friendly with ourselves. Now, what would that involve? If you want to uh, do good for somebody, um, for instance, for any problem, we consider what is the problem and then we consider, well, what will help? What is the solution? Now, this is sometimes much more difficult. Uh, um, for instance, when I took the dog uh, to the vet recently, um, they gave me something for the pain so that the dog would be calm at night because the dog was sort of all right in the daytime and then at night was kind of freaking out and making barking and being upset and uh, very, very not, not good, yeah? And so, uh, we thought maybe she's got some pain at night. So they gave her a shot for the pain. And then at night, it was exactly the same. Kept, I slept one hour. I think the dog was freaking out. So and I said, well, you, the pain thing doesn't seem to work. He said, well, this painkiller, you could castrate a horse and it wouldn't feel a thing. So I thought, okay, it's not, it's not that. And, uh, and then, so... In fact, uh, after that, they gave something to um, to just calm her down so that she could sleep and 
was well fine she wasn't knocked out she's just more relaxed and then she's able to deal with things better and we're dealing with her and this was the if you like the right antidote for the situation but we didn't find it straight away so and when you go to the doctor you know at least the doctor will tell you what's wrong but you might think oh i don't want to take this i want just natural medicines so who knows what you're thing is so there's many methods there's many methods in the dharma many methods according to the uh, uh, sutiyana vajrayana uh, different types of practice however if we have the notion of the great vehicle of the mahayana to attain complete awakening and buddhahood these four things these four uh, uh, kindness compassion joy and equanimity are like the foundation you know if you can't develop this good heart and then you do lots of mantras and you uh, become really uh, good at being very concentrated or uh, uh, very good in philosophy or whatever it is it's um it's a bit like getting on the train and it's not going to paris at all it's going somewhere one side caroline did you want to say something uh, could you unmute yourself if you want to say something we lost you for a second i'm so sorry you're back now but okay we lost you for a second so sorry okay to... we didn't lose him oh it's you it's you losing is everybody else all right can you hear yeah i keep moving so it maybe gets louder and softer i'm sorry okay so so i think we uh, we really need to um give importance to this uh, for a number of years i was um sharing on about this kind of kind of methods with people in france we used to meet together every couple of months and some of those people just going along with that some people went on to do really much more retreat and much more practice and things like that but i could feel happy that those people whether they were going faster or slower were at least going in the right direction because when i see for instance pema wangal rinpoche our teacher you can see that he's like the servant of everybody you know you know i i when when you've helped him do the washing up you kind of get the picture somehow that it's just kindness but with incredible non conceptual wisdom at the same time which is actually rather scary but anyway uh and uh and uh you know once we were going i i got to go to some fire puja thing with jimmy kensrimji because my son was kind of in the in crowd at that point i was kind of a little marginal by then and uh you know when we finished took her and bachet come and made lunch for everybody you know and uh i don't think you see many lamas doing this stuff you know and uh but this is there's something very special about about his teaching you know just getting in there and getting your hands dirty or something like that or just uh, not having it's to do with being carefree 
it's connected with the view as well when we say carefree like non-conceptual you know just not having a notion that you need to be appreciated you need to be somebody that this is this person is like this you know just everything is free and spacious and this is what this is what we're aiming for so the practices that we do that may seem very relative and sometimes even almost babyish you know like uh, i mean you know i'm giving my happiness and all my goodness to other people and taking all their suffering away i mean what you know you might think what is this but when you do that it actually chips away at this shell we put of having a very rigid mind which is stopping our love and compassion from coming out you know it's not as if we have to add the kindness and compassion and good heart which isn't there it's more like we're taking away the barriers that's stopping this incredible power that we have inside from expressing itself so um i would really emphasize the fact that this is something that we already have not something we have to artificially construct let's just sit quietly and sitting quietly we'll just we often do this just to warm up we'll just count our breaths let's say 21 times and then just be there with the breathing not trying to be ultra concentrated either just to be present just be present Now let's see if we can get in touch with our natural sense of love and friendliness. Thich Nhat Hanh says that we don't necessarily have to think of it as being love for other people or love for yourself, just feeling that sense of love. Now it may be helpful for you to remember times when you felt that, what we could say, altruistic love perhaps with a small child or something when we say love we mean wishing for happiness but actually when we before it becomes a wish for happiness i think it's just a sensitive tender feeling 
And if you're a very sensitive person and you think that's a problem, it's not, it's great, okay? So let's just wake up our sensitivity without being afraid of it and just feel a sense of tenderness, a sense of love, sense of connectedness, connected with our own mind, connected with everybody, just not protecting, not fighting, just present, soft, soft heart. Sometimes when you feel that, you may even just feel it in what we call the heart center, in the middle of your chest. You feel a kind of warm, soft feeling. I don't know if you feel that. And now let's think of someone that we love very much. And this someone we love very much, it doesn't necessarily to be, have to be someone who's with us right now. It might be your mum or your dad. They may have been dead for ages, but this feeling of love, you know what it is. If you can feel an instant of something, if you can feel genuinely a feeling of love, then you have the end of the thread to progress in your love and your kindness. It might be your child. And you might have had this feeling for your sick dog 
you know you might have this feeling uh, uh quite spontaneous for someone it could be someone you're in love with it could be sometimes you know when we're in love with someone we're so obsessed with our clean we're so focused on what we need and what we want for the person and then we find our love for them when we've broken up you know we see that oh wow there's some space now for genuine love when we have a very turbulent relationship with our parents or our children you know it's a question of just looking through under the waves to see that genuine love so let's look into that a little bit you know there may be quite a bit of emotional uh, stuff floating on the surface let's try to go beneath the surface and just feel that quality of love for our dearest ones so when we talk about love in this context we have to understand what we mean as you know in english at least and probably many languages love we can say i love chocolate I love my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. We use it in many different ways. And the kind of what they define this maitri, this kind of mega friendliness, is wishing the happiness and the causes of happiness to someone. So happiness. We all want it, don't we? We all want happiness. Everybody wants happiness. And I often think when you see a little fly doing washing itself, just getting all its wings sort of sorted out and things like that, you can see this little fly is wanting to be well too. The well has the notion of well-being. Or even more primitive things, there's a kind of natural impulse towards well-being. And this is a very precious thing. You know, when we're a baby, you know, we have this instinctively, don't we? You know, a baby can be happy and cry from one instant to the next. And, you know, can feel such easy satisfaction and so aware of what is uns in unsatisfaction, but without any real concepts. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? And then when a child gets a little bit bigger, it's like a magical world, magical world. The child wants all kinds, wants to be happy. And there's a sort of notion somewhere, isn't there, that everything should be perfect, you know, that I think uh, this, it's very interesting, this notion that everything should be perfect. I think we all have it. I think we may have rationalized our way out of it, but we all have it. And it's the thing that leads us into the most terrible tentacles of our desire and our neurosis. And also the thing that leads us to Buddhahood. You know, this fundamental thing, which way is it going to go? And so, as the child gets bigger, then 
everybody overlays all kinds of concepts of how things should be, what's right, what's wrong, what sort of person you are, even as a small child, what your possibilities are, what you should want. And we're all still carrying this around. It gets more and more elaborate and we internalize it so that everything becomes very, very, very complicated, doesn't it? Of course, it's important to know what's positive and what is not positive, what's helpful and what's not helpful. Unfortunately, we have the Buddha's teaching to give us some notion of uh, what is beneficial and what's harmful. And there's the notion that beneficial, those beneficial actions, positive actions, positive thoughts, even positive saying something positive has a positive effect around us and reciprocally has a positive effect on ourselves. And the, there's the notion that we're constantly creating, creating uh, our life and our trajectory. It's not like something fixed or preordained. We're constantly producing, uh, constantly creating our own mandala, which is constantly changing as well. And so we can see that certain things, we can actually, you know, we have all these uh, teachings about ethics and morality and so forth. But actually, you know, a funny thing is that when you really develop a kind of spacious mind combined with a really authentic sense of kindness and compassion, then it becomes actually quite clear what's beneficial and what's harmful. You can see what is, what is making your mind more entangled or more free. You can see what is creating a, a positive effect for others or a negative effect. Of course, as we're all completely entangled in our dualistic ignorance, we don't get it right all the time. So we have some kind of uh, 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 some kind of guidance for that, which is very precious. But but actually, you know, it's not talking about something kind of artificial or exotic. It's talking about just how things work. It's just how it works. So. When we're being kind for, to ourselves, when we're loving ourselves, it doesn't mean that we want to indulge in all the most pleasant things that we could imagine. It means that we want to uh, do what is really going to be beneficial for ourselves, beneficial for the mind, beneficial to become a Buddha, actually, or at least to become someone who's not suffering all the time and not creating suffering. And I think, I think the emptiness aspect is important here too, you know, that I, I, I've noticed that when people take things as very, very solid and very concrete, and uh, this is 100% bad, this is 100% good, I must have this, this is, you know, if, if I do something nice to somebody and they don't, uh, appreciate it, that I'm very upset. I mean, these are kind of a slightly gross examples, but in a subtle form, I think we all have them. We want to be recognized. We, if we're trying to be a good person, we want 
other people to think we're a good person too, don't we? Or we can't pat ourselves on the back. Or then if we're not managing very well, you know, we, we feel bad about ourselves and we want other people to be sympathetic. It's very, very complicated, you know. And all those kind of things that we dream about that are not especially helpful, actually. You know, it's, it's amazing how strong those habits can be. So I think our work to be kind to ourselves is actually to, to reduce what is creating uh, entanglement, what is creating the seeds of suffering, and to try to bring into play what is going to make us more free. So more free means a more spacious mind freer mind and that free mind is going to include everybody it's going to be a compassionate mind kind of automatically okay so let's um let's uh give a little space to this mind that's trying to be kind to ourselves and have a kind thought for someone someone or perhaps a number of individuals very close to us and really wish that they should have authentic happiness. And of course, that they should be free from their neurosis, free from whatever is uh, uh, actually harmful, at the same time with great tenderness, not with judgment. This is a subtle thing, isn't it? Of course, the opposite of uh, love and kindness is hatred aggression uh, etc and um, there's also the aspect of um, clinging clinging which is what they call the nearby uh, uh, obstacle you know the, that it's i think it's pretty impossible for most of us to feel love without attachment and uh, so when you feel love and you notice that there's attachment in it i don't think that means you have to switch off you just be aware of that and we can try to imagine how that love would be without the attachment and if you're in a couple for instance uh or in your relationship with your parents and your children that actually you know because in the teachings it's all often says oh you know not having so much a love for your you have the impression that means loving less your close ones and loving more the other ones but in fact that clinging and attachment and projection and uh codependency that we have in our relationships with our dear ones, our closest family and closest friends and partners and whatever, is actually contaminating the love that we feel for them. And the more free you can be, the more you can relax that, that attachment, the more meaningful, the more loving in a really authentic way that relationship can be now this is something you can try at home yeah 
This is something uh, uh, um, that we can try out with our uh, uh, family and friends, you know. Just have a look at things. You know, we, when we want the best for our kids, we have such a notion of what the best for our kids is. And um, of course, we, we can't really control the situation. I think it's wonderful to do the best for your kids. But it's so interesting, isn't it? Because it puts you on the balance, you know. You don't actually know what's going to, unless you're a high level bully supper, you don't really know what is going to be the most beneficial for your children in the long run. And they don't either, of course. You know. So sometimes families project a very strong idea of the identity of their children what they, who their children are, what they are, what they should be, what sort of person they are. And this is a very big burden for a child to carry. And then of course, in, in some countries, especially in China, you know, they're forcing their kids to get all these exams so they'll be a success. And this is super stressful for the children. As, as also Ken Simche said to the Chinese audience, Let's face it, we're brainwashing our children. And so, so we, we, we tend to force that. And of course, our parents have so many projections on us and often with really good heart, but uh, we might feel that their intentions are extremely mistaken as well. Maybe they are, maybe we're mistaken, maybe they're mistaken, how to know, you know, but it's just a question of putting space in there, you know, putting space. If we bring the, shall we say, if we say the emptiness aspect, it's a little confusing perhaps. If we say the spacious aspect in there, we put space in our relations, space. We can listen to the other one. It's so hard to listen. We can listen. And by listening, we can start to see what the situation needs. You know, when people want to help somebody else, they very often have a very strong idea of what is going to help them, what you have to do to help, and what the result should be. Well, in some ways, this is good. And in some circumstances, you know, like if you have a technical problem, for instance, you know, you have to analyze what the problem is and then see what technical means you can apply to fix it. That's obvious, isn't it? But uh, in human relations, these uh, technical problems are very, very, very hard to figure out. And uh, uh, whereas in, uh, in engineering or something, we might be very meticulous in examining uh, uh, what is wrong, what needs to be fixed, what the means are, what the stresses are, etc, uh, etc. Et In our relations with our family, we wing it, you know, we just, uh, uh, we're actually based on our prejudices, don't you think, mostly. We just have our character, our notion of ourselves, our notion of the other, and then in a very blunt way, uh, uh, that comes out and there's the sort of same scenario very often that plays again and again and again. So let's think of our family, 
our friends, close friends, maybe our, our partner, uh, um, uh, just uh, reviewing it from that point of view, with a little space and identifying where the love is and identifying where the codependency, where the uh, prejudice, where the clinging, the attachment, where the aspect of what we want from them uh, is. I mean, if you're, if you're in a couple relationship, it's completely normal that each one is going to sort of want something from the other. That's why they're together. So it's not kind of um, really bad. And it's normal that children should expect something from their parents. This is not bad either. But to say that that thing is the love, it's not strictly the case. That thing is added on. It's in parallel. It's, it's, so let's just look where the love is and think of our very, very closest ones and think, where's the love? Let's look, let's find the love and feel the love. And let's make the wish that these persons or this person or whatever that we really care about should be truly happy, that they should really be fulfilled in the most meaningful way. And now let's think of um, someone or some group of individuals that we care about, but who are not as close, you know. Just let's widen the circle and try to feel the same intensity of caring and love and wishing for their happiness that we have been trying to develop just now.
can really extend this to your family, friends, or just people that you meet casually that you really like and that you appreciate. And then let's just think of everybody. Let's think of, um, you know, there's so many people that we pass in the street or that we see on the TV or that we hear about or whatever. And then there's all the non-human creatures, you know, there's all the animals and things like that that are living all around us you know even in a room you've got all sorts of little bugs and what have you and in your garden and uh, everywhere and if you if you look closely at all these non-human creatures you can see that they are so like us in wanting to be happy and not wanting to suffer I know that it's become customary to do this kind of industrial farming where animals are treated like objects in the most gross way. And uh, this is just a fiction of denying what is completely obvious if you care to look. I have to say that Mathieu Ricard in his book uh, for the animals, he puts it really, really succinctly about putting the animals in concentration camps, or it's actually much worse than that, and death camps and things like that. And this is something that's 
completely current. And uh, so let's just think as widely as we can about uh, starting perhaps with people that we encounter, that we know, and extending to those that we don't know, that could just become statistics for that, and just wishing that everybody would be happy. This is so important, you know, that if you learn to do this by practicing it every day, when you see people in the street, when you see an animal, when you, whatever, you feel it. And then this completely resets the way you see the world. So this, um, this exercise, of course, a little bit difficult to do it online, but it's something that you can do any time and just reflect on this and cultivate water, this little flower of a good heart all the time. let's feel that immense tenderness and come on let's include the baddies as well i'm not mentioning anyone in particular but uh, uh, we can wish that those who are doing harmful things should be free from those kind of actions which are causing suffering to others and of course in the long term creating enormous suffering for themselves so we can really make a wish for all this kind of uh, 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 these kind of people to break through into an authentic cause of happiness. So we don't have, we're going to take a break kind of soon, but I'm just going to start to talk about compassion maybe a bit first. Is everybody okay so far? Okay. If somebody needs to 
contribute something or ask a question, probably technically we are managed one way or another. I apologize for the monologue. Um, when we talk about compassion, I think I would say that this, just as I would say for the love, the loving kindness, it's finding the basic thing of finding your tenderness, your good heart. And then from there on, you can become aware of how that is expressing itself, how it's being blocked and how it's expressing itself. And that will enable you to relate on that basis to very close ones with whom you might have some uh, kind of slightly difficult relationships or wonderful relationships or both at once or alternating with uh, one people that you feel comfortable with, that you like, that you appreciate, that you think are worthy of your love, for instance. And those who are just plain terrible, that you uh, would tend to go out in the street and scream about or uh, wish to assassinate or something like that, developing the love for wishing them to be happy. You know, I saw this great video, which I sent to Caroline, with an animated Barbie uh, 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 telling you how to do loving kindness meditation. It was really, really good. And so when you got to those ones that were really nasty to you and you don't like, you says, hey, this is where it's getting really difficult. Oh. So that's where it, as Jane Fonda used to say in, back in the day, feel the burn, then you know that the grease is going off your thighs. So. Uh, when it's tough, then we know we're doing something to feel, have the impression that you feel love for somebody who's really nice and you really like. Well, that's not very difficult, is it? But to feel love for, um, <coughs> for someone who is terrible or who is nasty to you uh, uh, or has really done you something, really done really damage to you, you know, that's actually... Um, Quite difficult. I, I noticed that when people have uh, been nasty to me, actually, I'm very lucky. People are usually very nice to me because I'm sort of fluffy and friendly and easy to get in with. But sometimes people really can't stand me, you know, then there's nothing to be done. And I always continue to feel a little wounded by that. It's really funny. I don't take it seriously, but I just notice, you know. So I think, um, you know, we, we, uh, we, we have plenty of work to do with this, but it's kind of fun, isn't it? Kind of fun to do it. So compassion, I think the first thing is to allow yourself to be touched, not physically, but your heart to be touched. You know, um, we think this is going to hurt. So we maybe recoil from this, you know, we recoil from being sensitive and think. And so very often people are brought up to be tough and to uh, that poor Mr. Trump, I think, was brought up to be insensitive and to not care for others. That's a very, very unfortunate karma to have that kind of upbringing. So I don't know, each of us has a, had a different 
childhood experience. And, uh, you know, as we know, parents do their best, but it's not always perfect. It was never perfect, is it? It's always a little bit dodgy. Uh, so, um, but that sensitivity, which might seem like um, a weakness to the ignorant people who don't understand anything about anything, is really an incredible gift. It's just that you have to know how to handle it. You know, when you have something very, very powerful, like a very powerful tool or something like that, or a powerful vehicle, a uh, powerful motorbike, for instance, it's great. You can go really fast, but you can really have a bad accident, accident if you don't know how to use it properly. So in that way, uh, we have to be able to handle that sensitivity that we feel. You know, there's a, a very famous uh, uh, example in that we can find, for instance, in the words of my perfect teacher and uh, I don't actually know where it originally comes from, of a woman whose child has fallen in the river and is being carried away and drowning. And the woman is handicapped. She has no arms. So she's running along the bank of the river, thinking, if only I could save my child, completely panicked, and she can't do anything to save them. And I think uh, when we're beginners in all this, we can really easily feel like this feel oh my goodness oh my goodness i'm going to be hurt and be unable to do anything and uh, uh, this is really terrible so we have to know how to use this compassion so um, we've just got a few minutes so i'm going to explain that after the break. Somebody asked a question, which I'm going to look at. There's two questions, Charles. Two questions, okay, well. One from Lizzie and one from Colin. Charles, if you're fluffy and friendly and flexible, don't you put yourself into a position where you potentially get taken advantage of? Yes, this can happen. And of course, according to the mind training, you think, oh, jolly good, you know. This is a, because this is very, very hardcore. If you look at something like the seven-point mind rate training or the eight verses of Langri Tangpa, you want to take the difficulty on yourself and offer the victory to others. And this is very, very difficult for us. I was just, you know, it's easy to think about, but hard to do. I was just thinking, about my dog suffering being unable to breathe and I think would I really want my dog not to have difficulty breathing and me to have, have difficulty breathing instead you know could we really do this uh, uh, um, some you know bodhisattvas this is just second nature they don't really have this kind of uh, clinging to self so I think the answer to that is that um, if you get taken advantage of in that way because of your attitude, then this is the thing that's going to pulverize your ego, your self-clinging, if you can just be free from caring about that. And so this is part of your training. 
of course, you know, when we're dealing with things in the world and we have things we have to do for ourselves, for others, uh, beneficial things, then with skillful, skillful, a skillful approach, we can maybe uh, 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 try to avoid getting put into that position because it's not helpful, not helpful for the others, not helpful for the situation and things like that. But I, I actually think, though this may be shocking, uh, that that, that um, uh, uh, to be uh, uh, taken advantage of is not really the root of the problem, actually. The other question is, which comes up all the time, uh, uh, how do you feel, how, in terms of kindness, compassion, and pure perception, how do you feel it towards someone like Hitler? And, uh, well, we can think of a few contemporary examples, actually, can't we, too? Um, you know, some people think that love means uh, just wanting that person to go on as they have been doing and uh, uh, be happy. And uh, in fact, uh, I think this is when we don't think of happiness and the cause of happiness. When someone is creating suffering and the cause of suffering, whatever temporary pleasures they may have is not in any way the sort of happiness that we're talking about here. We would wish them to be free of these tendencies, these actions, the whole thing to be like a completely flip over uh, uh, into a completely different situation. It, and when we say pure perception, that's a rather big subject. Uh, which I think um, I think we have to uh, uh, maybe we'll have time to discuss uh, uh, here. But uh, what we mean by pure perception? Pure perception is more like we were saying in the quote at the beginning, like seeing the uh, free freedom, the emptiness of everything. That's uh, I think what. Pure perception, uh, uh, we often mean positive perception, take, looking at things in a positive way. Well, that's something, uh, some things that we can see as being positive and some things we can accurately see as being negative. So pure perception doesn't mean putting on rose-tinted spectacles. I think that's not the notion of pure perception. Uh, pure perception, uh, is um, well, for instance, some advanced practitioners and especially enlightened beings have a perception of the world that is totally different from ours and that it's not conceptual, it's not dualistic, it's not, uh, it's not at all in the same sphere as well. We would see it, and they're they're expression, their action, comes out of this spontaneous wisdom uh, with a kind of kindness which is just like present rather than like moving. Do you know that it's just present all the time without any notion of subject and object? And so their love is there for everybody like a steady state. It's not something that has to be stimulated by something. And so this is what we mean by real pure perception. 
So often we use this uh, 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 in a slightly looser way, which is useful too, to mean, uh, uh, you know, having a positive, uh, a positive attitude, which is important too. But I think, uh, uh, I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, uh, it's, it's good to develop that, but I don't think that that should cloud our lucidity and our ability to uh, see that something's a positive or not. But this seeing that something's a positive or not is really tricky too, isn't it? I mean, if you think in terms of society, what something people think is positive, other people think is super negative, you know, and uh, of course we have to make judgments, but when we take our judgments as being solid fact, then uh, this is, um, this is a misunderstanding of what perception is in general. You know, this is a, a notion that uh, uh, this is something that's very, 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 very fixed and very, very dualistic. And so I think we can, as part of our expression in the world, express opinions, um, have notions, have ideas, have ideas of what is beneficial and what is not. But I actually think that it's good to not take those as being something fixed or thinking that we really know and uh, and uh, we, we can see the results of people uh, getting into a fixed mindset and interpreting everything in terms of that you know whatever it might be could be religion political philosophy or allegiance to some kind of leader or what our family or our parents or our boss says we should be like or what we should think. So I think, I think taking whatever you think as a pinch of salt, there was this, I think it was one of the sitters who said, you know, I've come to realize that everything I think is absolute rubbish. So um, uh, that's a thought, isn't it? So, um, so Melina thinks, yes, we do have to take care of ourselves. And yes, we do. But it's just a question of what that taking care of ourselves really is. You know, that's the thing. And I think, um, I think, for instance, if you want to get healthy and you think, oh, I should take some exercise, then you have to start with the sort of exercise that you can reasonably do, don't you? and what is going to really work for you, you know. If you think, oh, well, now I'm going to run a marathon this week, you know, this is not going to be very useful. So I think, uh, actually, I think common sense is good here. Common sense. I think people uh, 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 need a lot of common sense and be very down to earth. I, I notice that um, uh, uh, Westerners sometimes when they're interested in Buddhism and and uh, and sort of Vajrayana and things like that, they get very very much into a fantasy world. Whereas uh, Tibetans, they you see them doing all these totally alarming rituals in a very deadpan way, as if they're sort of peeling potatoes or something. They just don't have the same take on it, you know. And I think I think uh, we it's important to be grounded, you know. It, it really it really helps, yeah. 
but to be observant as well, to be observant of what is happening at each moment in your mind, you know. Uh, um, I think uh, we can see when we're just indulging, can't we? And uh, think, oh dear, I'm indulging. Well, there you go, you know. We don't have to kind of have a huge pitched battle with ourselves, but it's important to notice, to notice and notice and re-notice. And the more you notice, the clearer you get. 